So this is Exodus chapter 15, page 56 in the Church Bible, or in the booklet, the weekend booklet, or on the screen. The Song of Moses and Miriam. Then Moses and, and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, your majestic in, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be still as, as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on the dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand. And all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to be looking at these chapters of Exodus with you. 
these last couple of days. Uh, those who weren't around yesterday, uh, just a little recap for what, where we've come from. We're, we're looking at Exodus chapters 13 through to 16. And uh, that's a kind of a weird thing to do because when you look at the book of Exodus, you don't think of those chapters as being the significant chapters. Uh, but the point is that all of the Bible is significant and sometimes uh, it's very important that we read not just the kind of famous parts of the story but the whole story. Uh, it's also, um, we're looking at these chapters because we want to look at what God says to his people after their deliverance, after their salvation. Uh, often we, we rightly and helpfully in our churches emphasise the fact that God is really keen that people hear about the message of salvation. But the Bible doesn't just talk about here's what you need to know to be saved. Uh, and if you read the book of Exodus up to chapter 12, you basically get to the point of here's what you need to know to be saved. But the story doesn't stop there. And so we've called this uh, little series for this weekend, Now That We Are Saved, then what? Well, then we keep listening to God and we keep hearing what he has to say to us. We saw in chapter 13 the critical importance of enacted remembrance. Not just calling things to memory or, or hearing things, but doing things that help us to remember what God has done for us in salvation. We saw as well, uh, didn't we, then we got to uh, chapter 14, the crossing of the Red Sea and how that was a kind of crazy idea that God would lead his people into a situation where they'd be trapped, but he did it for his glory. And we also saw at the end of chapter 13 about how God guides his people and what we can do to continue following the Lord's ways after we've been saved. And today we come to chapter 15 and most everything we've just heard read is a song, the words of a song read out to us. Now with a few exceptions, I personally cannot stand musicals. I don't know how you feel about this but I just think they are one of the worst ideas in human artistic endeavour. People actually pay money to go and see these things. I think the reason they grate so badly against me is just because they're so profoundly cheesy and artificial. You know, at, at, at random junctures through the plot, someone bumps into their friend. Oh, I haven't seen you for a while. Where have you been? Where have I been? I think, oh, for goodness sake. Well, this is an interesting situation. What should we do? What should we do? Oh, please. I just find that excruciatingly corny. Uh, a few years ago, my mother-in-law, not knowing how I felt, bought my wife and I and her tickets to go and see a musical all together for Christmas. So being a dutiful son-in-law, I happily went along and sat through the musical, which was atrocious. It was Phantom of the Opera or something like that. Um, we came out... And the first thing she did was, my mother-in-law was eyeballed me and said, so what did you think? And boy, oh boy, I had to scratch around for something. You know, those, those, the seats were pretty comfortable in there. Actually. <laughs> it was terrible. The story of the book of Exodus is a really actually quite heavy story. It's kind of got a lot of uh, 
weight to it. It's, it's, it's got some darkness to it. It's, it's terrifying at some levels. It's serious. It reads more like the script of an intense suspense drama. We've had a nation enslaved, brutally treated, crying out for deliverance. We've had an evil king opposing the Lord. We've had plagues come that are horrendous and leave the nation in all kinds of disastrous uh, situations with, with crops destroyed, animals killed. Finally, the firstborn sons die. We've seen the people leave in a hurry. We've seen them be pursued. We've seen them escape through the ocean. And then we've seen a whole army in, completely wiped out as the sea closed back on them. And we get to chapter 15 and the Israelites look back on what's happened and say, gosh, did you see all that? Did I see all that? And a song comes. You think, for goodness sake, what? Really? We're getting into musical mode? Why would you put a song here? Why would you drop a song into this story? In some ways, you don't really need what the song's got in it. All the words we've heard read are recounting nothing more than what we've already seen in the story of the book of Exodus. So you could have the song, uh, you could kind of teach through every part of this song, but that would just be to repeat what you've already known from earlier chapters in the book of Exodus. So why a song here? Why are there songs in the Bible? The book of Psalms, 150 songs recorded for us. There are songs at other significant junctures in the history of God's people. Hannah sings her song. Mary sings to the Lord. The people of God gathered around the throne on the last day in the book of Revelation sing songs. Although I kind of have my own personal issues with musicals, it seems that songs are really important to God and to his people. And songs are meant to punctuate the life of the people of God. Why is that? Well, music, of course, is important to all cultures at all times. All peoples of the world have some kind of musical tradition. And the Bible is not just a book of facts and information, though it's full of facts and information. It's a book about the fullness of what it means to live a proper human life with the Lord God as king. And what we have here is part of living as God's people is to sing to him and to sing in remembrance of what he's done. And I think that's because God has made music to do some things that can't be done any other way. Music does things that other forms of expression or communication don't do. And God wants those things for us. It's interesting if you think about it, there's no reason that music should be possible. There's no reason that God should have made there to be different sounds and different pitches. There's no reason that you couldn't kind of get by just in monotone. But no, just like colour in creation and taste in food, sound is also diverse and full of variety. And God has made it that way, partly just because it's beautiful and God's creation is beautiful, but partly because it does things that you can't get just from monotone. Here's one thing that music does. Music actually helps us remember. Music is a magnificent mnemonic device. It helps us learn things that we otherwise might struggle to forget. And it helps us to not only get things committed to our memories, 
but it helps us to recall those things again every time we sing a song. When we sing, things that music locked into our minds are brought back to the front of our minds and kept present. It's an incredibly powerful way to learn and remember things is through songs. This is why we teach kids the alphabet with a song. They learn the song, they learn the alphabet. This is why TV commercials have jingles because it gets stuck in your head and you don't forget no matter how irritating that becomes when you find yourself driving the car and singing the ad to a takeaway food shop or something. It gets in. It sticks in. Uh, And you know uh, from whatever music it was that you loved uh, as a youth, 20 years ago or however long ago it was for you, uh, you can put on a song that you knew when you were a teenager and immediately every single word comes back to you and you can sing it along with the cassette player that you used to play it on. You can, uh, in, in, uh, for, if you want to study the scriptures in um, original languages, there's even songs for like the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, you can learn all kinds of things that are useful as you study the Bible. But what's being learnt here in song and what's being remembered is the history of God's deliverance. What God has done for his people in freeing them finally and, and, and completely from Egyptian captivity is put into song so that as the people of Israel come together in various traditions and festivals and gatherings and they raise their voices, the tune that buzzes around in their head, the words that they recall, the things that are committed to their memories and that come out again are the stories of their salvation. And song will do that for them in a way that just telling the stories won't. Song will lock it in more deeply, write it into their persons in a deeper way than words on their own without music will. So this is one reason then why God gave music, to help his people remember their deliverance and to lock it in to their memory and to have a quick way of bringing that back when the tune is played. And we see, don't we, that this is exactly what the song is about. Uh, The song is a summary of the chapter that's just gone before. So just very quickly, looking at uh, verse 4 through to 10, Pharaoh's chariots and his armies he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I'll pursue, I'll overtake them. I'll divide the spoils. I'll gorge myself on them. I'll draw the sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in mighty waters. It's really just recounting, as I said, everything we've already seen in chapter 15. But being set to music, uh, again, it will, it will be easier for the Israelites to have this captured in their minds, in their hearts, and be able to sing back. Interestingly, we also learn in verses 14 through to 16 of uh, chapter 15 that this song will be something that, uh, that recalls that what God has done has spread his glory more broadly. We saw in chapter 14 that one of the reasons God does the things he does, even puts his people in hard situations, is so that his glory spreads further afield. And we see that as well here, don't we? Chapter 15, verse 14. The nations will hear and tremble 
and anguish will grip the, the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be still as stone. Uh, the world will hear about what God's doing. That's captured too in this song. The fact that God's name and fame will be spread abroad. And mixed in here as well, there are other lessons about the nature and character of God. Verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Verses 11 to 13, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? There's a, a number of things here that the people uh, remember, recall about God's character as well as God's actions. So this is a great reason to sing. We sing so we remember who God is and what he's done. Uh, It's a good reason why our songs should be biblically and theologically right, although uh, sometimes uh, we need to be careful uh, to make sure we're not forcing a degree of kind of... um, precision onto our songs that while technically correct it artistically spoils them uh, that is there needs to be some appropriate thoughtful poetic license I think and sometimes you get songs that introduce not biblical language but theological language language that's not actually in the bible you know God is the great propitiator in his trinitarian holiness and he expiates the yeah that's kind of right but it hasn't got much of a rhythm to it <laughs> The point being that the music is as important as the words. The words need to be right, but the music is what needs to. Uh, the music is what's important to get those words in. Uh, one reason that I think music helps us to remember so well is that music engages our emotions. Music engages our emotions. Uh, on the one hand, what that means is music. Music touches us emotionally. Music doesn't just give us information. Music makes us feel things. Music makes us feel things. Music can build us up to a great high. You know, this is why people go to nightclubs uh, with thumping music because it gets them going. It's why football clubs sing songs when their team wins. It's sometimes why you go to great concerts of great stage bands because it's really engaging. It's why military have marching songs to build you up. But music can also do other things, can't it? It can, it can tap into grief and anger. There are lots of really um, heartbreaking ballads and, and laments and songs that uh, really help us feel some of those harder emotions. Uh, perhaps, you know, you like post-punk music because you, you're angry at the machine and the man and the music gets that anger going for you. Perhaps your heart is broken and one or two people have written songs about being heartbroken and helping you to feel that. Perhaps you've suffered even bereavement and loss and grief and there are even people who write songs about those kinds of things. They help us to feel. They help us to feel. Uh, You can get even a sense of peace, can't you? Lots of music is written just to calm, give you a, a relaxed state. It works the other way as well. Um, if you know that music affects your emotions, sometimes not in the way it's intended. And this is about kind of the personal dimension of music. Some music might be intended to make you feel great, but if it's not your kind of music, it can actually really irritate you. 
this is often a conflict in houses where people have different musical tastes and where someone blasts on the stereo something that they love but that someone else really doesn't. And you get someone who's bopping around all happy and cheering another person who's just frustrated and, oh my goodness, I can't stand that noise. Never happens in our house. (laughs) Everyone loves my music. (laughs) But it touches us emotionally. For better or worse, music actually lights up our emotions. And that's important because human beings are meant to feel things. We are meant to feel things. We're not just meant to know that God is a deliverer. We're meant to feel something in response to that. We're meant to feel full of awe. We're meant to feel thankful. We're meant to feel joy at his favour towards us. And similarly, we're meant to feel pain when we hear about tragedies. We're meant to feel good when we hear that people love us. We're meant to feel angry when we hear about miscarriages of justice. We're meant to feel excited when we hear that our old friends are coming to visit. We're meant to feel peace and calm when we take our day of rest. We're not just meant to know things. Human beings are meant to feel things. We're emotional beings. God made us that way and that's a good way for us to be. One of the most depressing and uninspiring and potentially even scary things is when you meet people without passions who just kind of mechanically go through life, kind of robotically. But that's probably more so with Christians. When you meet Christians who are just heady and you think, do you have anything going on inside? Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was one of the greatest preachers of England in the last century, uh, strongly believe that one of the reasons the church didn't grow or saw so little growth was because Christians showed so little evidence that they thought following Jesus was exciting. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you know his teaching, he's a meaty Bible teacher. He goes kind of you know, eight sermons on one verse. Uh, his, his sermons on Romans take up this much of your book sp- uh, bookshelf. Um, So you think of him as a teachy guy, but really he was very, very interested in people's emotions. And it's a staggering rebuke to say the church is stale and impotent and not growing and attracting people because the world looks at the church and says, why would I be interested in something where everyone who already is a believer is so down in the mouth and glum and half-hearted? There's nothing attractive about that. It echoes in some ways perhaps what we see in uh, John writing, uh, recording the the message of Jesus in the book of Revelation to to the church of Laodicea. Jesus is so angry at this church because they're lukewarm. They're not unbelievers, but they're so bland and dull in their belief. They're not lit up for him. And he talks about just wanting to spit them out of his mouth. Jesus doesn't just want people who are convinced of the facts. He does want people to be convinced of the facts, but not just convinced of the facts. He wants people to be passionate about him, to be sold out, lovers of him. And Israel was not just expected to be able to recount the facts of their deliverance. As the nation matured and settled in the promised land and grew up, they weren't just meant to say, remember that good thing God did? Yes, I remember. Good, I'm glad you remember. They were meant to sing about it. Rejoice about it. Celebrate this great thing that God had done. 
They were meant to be full of joy and humility before the God who had saved them. They were meant to have a passion. Music is meant to uh, engage our emotions. Uh, And the flip side of that is, it's not just that music makes us feel something. Music is a channel for expressing our emotions. We're not just meant to feel something and say, yeah, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it, but I don't know what to do with it. Music is a channel. Songs are a channel for us to express those emotions. You don't just listen to your football club's anthem at the end and go, gosh, this is a great song. I'm feeling so pleased they won. You sing along with them. That's how you express your emotions. You don't just listen to your punk music and go, yeah, I really do think the government's wrong. It's making me angry. You sing along. You you let it out. And this song here, Exodus 15, is a song that's directed to God. See verse uh, two, uh, verse one and two. Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. Uh, I will sing to the Lord, it says. It's their, their vehicle, their means, their instrument of directing their emotional response to God. They're not just making music in honour of God, they're making music for God, to God. It's not just for the congregation to say, let's sing this for ourselves. It's saying, let's sing this to God, for him. Let's raise our praises. This is our channel for expressing our emotions. And again, we're not just meant to feel things. It's okay to express things. It's okay to say how we feel. And again, we see this all through the scriptures, don't we? We see in the scriptures a great number of times people who are broken crying out to the Lord. Again, we think of people like Hannah at the beginning of 1 Samuel. She cries out to the Lord. She has emotions. We even think of the Israelites at the beginning of Exodus. They cry out to the Lord. We're not just meant to have emotions but keep them boxed in. We're meant to let them come out, to be shared. And this song and the songs and scriptures and the songs that we sing in our churches are not just meant to be a recognition of facts. They're not just meant to be something that affects us. They're meant to be something we can direct back to God. And we don't just do it because it's the right thing to do. You don't just come to church and sing songs because oh, there's always three songs at church, so I guess we have to sing them, and that's part of what we do. We take that opportunity as part of our gathering to direct our praise to God, to encourage each other in doing that. I think this is a really big challenge, particularly for churches in the tradition that I'm from. So my background is I'm from an Anglican church and an evangelical Anglican church. Uh, Anglican has got the kind of English reserve about it and the evangelical Anglican has got the uh, heavy focus on studying the word. Now studying the word is a great thing to do but that reserve, that English reserve I think sometimes is not especially helpful. Um, I've said before that you know uh, you can go to an Anglican church and hear rousing hymns, powerful hymns, big, strong songs, be they played on a pipe organ or with a band, and everyone kind of sings see, like that, hardly moving. And you think, you know, um, Anglicans say, of course, uh, that, you know, we, well, we have our hands up on the inside. <laughs> and I think that's okay. There's different ways that different people do things. We all have different personalities, and not everyone will express themselves in the same way. But I do wonder sometimes if actually we should be prepared to 
put our hands up on the outside. I know for some people that totally freaks us out. Uh, I've been in a church where that just was not done and there was one woman who during a song put her hand up and you could just see everyone else going like this. What is that freaking me out? But it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to express emotion like that. Um, Lots of us do it in the shower. It's okay to do it when we gather before the Lord as well, even if we come from the same kind of background that I did. Now it's interesting, isn't it? The Israelites sing this song of salvation for their deliverance from slavery in the land of Egypt. I think the question that it throws out for us is, how much more should we? How much more should we? I have no doubt that being saved from slavery, being saved from political captivity, uh, being people who are refugees on the path to deliverance, I have no doubt that that is a hugely significant thing that would deeply affect you and that you would want to sing about. But we now, the Church of Christ, have also been saved and from something actually far more powerful, from something far more dangerous, from something far more oppressive, not just from an external force that has kept us down, but from the grip of sin in our hearts, from the mess that's in here, from our rebellion, our own uh, turning away from God, our own commitment to things that are sinful. We've been saved from that. We've been freed on the inside, as it were. We've been made into new people, not just freed people, but entirely new people. We know that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been led out of captivity, not to a nation, but out of captivity to sin and to Satan himself. And we're not just being led to a promised land that's milk and honey. We're being led to a new creation where the Lord God himself will be on the throne and we'll see him face to face and we'll spend eternity in his presence. If the Israelites had something to sing about, we have even more to sing about too. How great should our songs of praise be? So let me then just come to a couple of questions. As we read through Exodus 15 and think about what it means to sing, uh, I guess one question is, do we have the details of our deliverance locked into our memories in the way that this kind of song was meant to lock it into the memories of Israel? Do we have fixed in our minds the story of what God has done for us in Jesus? Do we know what he went through? The false accusations, the unjust conviction, the public execution. Do we have a sense of the size of the thing that Jesus, the perfect son of God, did for us? And then subjectively, do we have a sense for the size of our own sin, our own need, our own lostness without him? Do we realise how incredibly, how incredibly lost and hopeless we are without Jesus? And if not, I think that's something we need to remind ourselves of. We need to know that story that needs to be written into us. And we can do that by reading the scriptures, reading the stories again, but maybe we'll also do that by finding some songs that put that to word. Learning those songs, singing them, getting them written into our very being. And the other question I think is, uh, are we emotional people? Are we emotional Christians? Are we people who actually 
feel and express the emotions that we should have as human beings made the way God's made us? Do we let our emotions respond to the good news of Jesus? Do we not just say, yes, it's good and true and right that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and yes, indeed, I was a sinner, but do we say, praise God, praise God that Jesus has done that for me. I know and I feel the weight of who I once was. And do we express that back to God emotionally? Not just factually, but emotionally, do we pour that out? I think being emotional in some Christian circles is not the done thing. And you know, maybe it suggests that we're, we're weak or worse, that we're irrational. Oh, you're just getting carried away and emotional and emotions. You're not thinking that through. And I don't want to say that we should stop being rational. Of course, we need to use our minds. They're a gift from God. But we mustn't become people who are cold and shut down emotionally. That's not how we're made to be and that's not healthy. And we must be able to express our emotions amongst each other and to God. That's part of what God wants for his people. How can you perhaps foster more emotional expressiveness? How can you grow in your ability to feel and to express your emotions? Well, I want to take us straight back to where we've come from. I actually think we should practice singing. I think singing is just not the only way, but one way that we can get our emotions going. I think that when we have songs, and particularly songs of praise to God, we should try getting into them. We should try singing a little more than we have before, drawing the air right into our lungs, tipping our chins up and singing to God, letting a hand just creep a little for a moment. Just let ourselves sing and let singing be a way that we feel things and express things. That's one way, and it seems to be the way that God expects his people will in the scriptures. What if you can't sing? What if you've got a really bad, out-of-tune, terrible, grating voice? That's okay. God doesn't mind. God doesn't mind at all. Sing anyway. God's not concerned with the quality of your voice. He's concerned with the condition of your heart. So sing your lungs out. This is not the voice. You're not being judged. This is a chance to feel and express to God. What if you're a guy? Because guys don't sing. That's actually not true at all, is it? People say that guys don't sing, but guys do sing. Again, the footy song. Guys sing the footy songs. Lots of the world's great rock bands are fronted by guys who sing. Of course guys sing. There's no reason to think they don't. What if you're embarrassed? What if you feel like, man, there's a group of people around me. If I sing loud and lift my hand, or I just feel that's embarrassing. Well, here's the big thing we need to say to that, is we have to get over it. If we are embarrassed to express our praise to God, if we're embarrassed to, to be open before God with one another, then we fall into that place that Martin Lloyd-Jones said was so terrible and crippling for the church. We become people who, who hide our emotions. And not only do we not encourage each other, not only do we not praise God, but the world looks in and says, why would I become a Christian? It's so dull. If we're embarrassed, we need to get past that. And together, a church needs to be a place where we can express our emotions. 
It needs to be okay to rejoice in church, just as it needs to be okay to cry or to worry. That can be okay to have those things exposed. What if you don't like the kinds of music that are played in places like churches or other places where you sing? Well, a few things you can do, I guess, is you might make some suggestions of alternatives. Um, You might find your own music. There's a world of music you can, of course, download from the internet now and download and uh, have for yourself, put in your uh, earphones and and have that privately. Um, I will say, though, uh, for what it's worth... I am, my musical taste, not only do I not like musicals, but I, for a long time, had a pretty narrow range of music that I enjoyed. Um, As a teenager, I did like kind of um, loud, guitar-y, I did like the post-punky stuff, and that's kind of great, but there ain't a lot of Christian music that fits in that genre. But I've even found with my narrow tight view of what, I, of, of what I think music should be like I've even found as I've listened to my wife's music my daughter's music uh, there is a huge spread of songs that are written for the church and uh, if someone like me can find a whole bunch of them that I find encouraging and that engage me emotionally that I can sing to God then I think probably anyone can there is enough out there or perhaps you could even write some more that's not a bad thing to do. Christians have always written songs to God uh, and there's no reason why we can't keep doing that. So God has made us people with passions and emotions. God has done great things. He doesn't just want us to know them. He wants us to feel them and to express them as they get written right into the deepest parts of ourselves, into our memories, uh, into our subconscious memories, into the very fabric of us. God has saved us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, something even greater than what he did for his people in the Exodus. And so we have got something really worth singing about. And our God himself is a great God, holy and majestic and good. He is a God worth singing to. He is a God worth praising. And so I want to encourage you Encourage us all to be singing people. People who remember the goodness of God through song. I think that would be great, not just as it magnifies and glorifies him more, but great for us as we grow into the people that we're meant to be now that we're saved. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of music. And we thank you that there's all kinds of different music. And we thank you that music engages us emotionally. And we thank you that through music we can learn and remember things about you. Heavenly Father, we pray you'd help us to sing well, to sing with passion and excitement. We pray you'd help us to grow in that and uh, to look back 5, 10, 20 years from now and find that we are a people who sings with more passion and energy than we do today uh, as we keep growing in our love and joy at you. We pray, Father, we'd even be able to sing songs of lament. We pray we'd be able to sing all kinds of things to you. We pray that we'd be open before you and that we do that together. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.